hope that truth is encouraging to your heart this morning. I know it's uh, the second time that many of us have been together in just the last couple days. It was so good to have many of you here uh, for Christmas Eve for that special celebration uh, and to just rehearse together the beauty, the glory, the joy of Christ, the Son of God come to bring us salvation. And whether you had the worst Christmas ever or the best Christmas ever, that's the thing that's eternal. And we don't just celebrate it at Christmas. We're here to celebrate Christ today. And so we're glad you've come to join with us. Uh, it's my privilege today to introduce you to someone who's going to be speaking. Uh, back in 1991, I was in grade school. And there's a couple named Roger and Crystal. And they were going to Calvary Bible College. Roger was finishing up uh, his training there. And they started coming to Countryside, the church where my dad pastored. And so I had to go to church there. Um, I was six, and so I didn't really have much of a say in the matter. Um, but Roger and Crystal came, and they were married, and they, they got involved in ministry there. And then they were sent in 1994 to go to uh, the South American nation of Brazil. And for, I believe, about 15 years, they were in a city called Maceo. 15 years in Maceo, is that correct? 17. 25. I did my math wrong Sunday morning. 25 years in Maceo, which is a city, if you're looking at um, Brazil on a map, it's on the coast, the, the part of Brazil that kind of sticks out into the ocean. That's where they were, a couple million people there, and they were involved in church planting, evangelism, leadership development. They're even doing missions to other Portuguese-speaking nations like Portugal and, and some countries in Africa. And in the last couple years, they have shifted their focus and ministry to a new city, Aracaju. And so you pray for them because they've left behind 25 years' worth of investment, relationships, friendships, home, the place where they raise their children. And they're in a new city because there's more people who need to hear about Christ. And that's what they've devoted their lives to. So, Roger, you come and preach. Many of you are aware of their names because we pray for them on a monthly basis when we do our missions prayer. So some of you who are newer, you can now put a face with the name. So, Roger, you come and preach to us. I did a little bit of a ministry update, but feel free to say whatever else you want to say, as I'm sure you will. So, that's great. Thanks. One time I heard a great speaker, not me, uh, it was a great old speaker, I can't remember his name, he had a church of 28,000 down in Texas, and he said, that was the second greatest uh, a presentation I've ever been at. He says, the first one is when the guy didn't show up to present himself, so he, so he presented himself. The guy didn't show up to present him, so he presented himself. Never mind, it was supposed to be funny. I didn't, <laughs> I ruined it. I have a question for you, and it, pastor can't respond, and neither can Michael Dietzel. But uh, for the rest of you, can you tell me what the name of the president of Brazil is? And no, it's not Trump, too. Oh, yeah. Though he acts like it. But. Anyone have an idea? Yeah, you can Google it. I don't mind if you Google it. Let's see if Google knows. They might have blocked it. No. <laughs> Anybody fine? I see you searching, man. Very good. Come on up. Who said that? Come on up. Come up here real quick. You just won two Guadanas from Brazil. Guadana is a fruit. And, uh, yeah, so as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. <laughs> I get both? 
Yeah, you get both, because I figure you drink one and your friend drinks another. Yeah, you can clap for them. That is a pop. If it says champagne on it, it doesn't mean alcoholic. It just means it's bubbly pop. So, but uh, Bolsonaro is our president. Keep praying for Brazil. Pray for us and our ministries. Thank you so much. I wanted to make sure to say that to you. Every once in a while, I get a little email and it says, "Hey, praying for you this Sunday. Need to have some prayer requests." And man, those are great. You know, just send those right away and, and know that you guys are praying. Appreciate all your prayers. We need prayer, don't we? And we need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus. And Brazilians need Jesus. I don't know if you know, but there's a lot of African countries that speak Portuguese. Portugal obviously speaks Portuguese. A little part of India speaks Portuguese. And used to, part of China speaks Portuguese. And uh, so we have a desire to reach all those areas. And God is raising up leaders, Brazilian leaders and American leaders, and Mozambique leaders. Is that how we say it? Mozambicanos? I don't know how we say it. Mozambique, okay. I know how to say it in Portuguese. I don't know how to say it in English. Uh, but God is raising those up as well to reach the world with the greatest news, and that's about Jesus. So turn to Luke. That will be our text in Luke chapter 9, 12 through 26. And as you turn there, give you a little history of myself. I ran cross country in high school. I don't know why I did it. I don't like running. And, uh, and running is terrible, isn't it? It is. I just... But there was a great coach. He was a fabulous coach. He was an amazing man. And he really pushed us and encouraged us. And I was, I was involved with this public school of Lanford High School in Springfield, Illinois. And I wasn't any good. I only ran a 16-28 5K. Okay? Now, for some of you, you might think that's good. But for our state, I was second string. Second string. I didn't make first string. But I remember one thing that always stuck with me, and it's really cool, and that is this. That as we were practicing and running, you know, and the team would scream out, 99%. And everybody would scream, not enough. So we're running, you know, 99%. Not enough. As we come to Luke chapter 9, 12 through 26, we learn that for the Christian, 99% is not enough. We're going to learn this phrase, this theme this morning, and that is this. The greatness of Christ demands great commitment by Christians. Now, I use the word Christian. I mean those who are generally followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the general evangelical world where we throw everybody in, you know, Jehovah Witness and their cults and all that. I'm saying Christians who are truly, genuinely born again followers of Christ. So listen to this phrase again. The greatness of Christ demands great commitment by Christians. I want us to behold the greatness of Christ. In verses 12 through 17, we're going to see that Christ is greater than a meal, than a meal, than our physical needs. Verse 12 through 17, let's read. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. In a desolate place. Now if you go with us to Israel, uh, you will see this place, and it's still desolate to this day. I mean, you don't find any McDonald's. Or you don't find any Burger King at this spot. You don't even find a Casey's. You know, it seemed to be everywhere, right? But it's a desolate place. And so in other words, it's a place where there's no food to provide for all these people. But look what Jesus does in verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And they really didn't even have that. They took that from some kid. 
as we learned from other parallel passages. And uh, all we got is that. Perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, verse 14. For there are about 5,000 men, which means there's probably about 5,000 women, about 5,000 kids, so there's about 15,000 people probably. And he said to his disciples, verse 14, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. This is how I know they're not Brazilians, because <laughs> Brazilians would have a hard time to organize in 50 and 50-50. I used to live by a, a school, and I don't know how they get any stu- studying done. I mean, it's just loud the whole time. It's just organization. Like in Brazil, uh, you go, you know, here in America, we come up, and we want to talk to someone at the service desk. We wait in a line, don't we? In Brazil, you wait in line. You will wait in that line all day. You have to show that you really want to be served. So you go right up to the front. So one day, my wife came back to the United States. <laughs> and uh, you don't mind me telling this, do you, babe? And, uh, and she just uh, she saw a counter, and she walks right up and says, hey, I need something done here. And like five Americans are looking at her with these eyes of, who are you? You know? <laughs> she said, oops, I'm back in America. I've got to get back in line. All right. So there is there were in, in groups of 50 here. Verse 15. They did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over picked up 12 baskets full. So I don't know how that was happening. I, I know that Jesus thanked the Lord for the bread and, and the fish, and, and as he's breaking it and setting it into the baskets, it just kept, I don't know if it was multiplying right here in his hands, you know, or, or was it multiplying in the basket as they're pulling out the food, and it just, as they pull out, there's three more, and they pull out, there's seven more, and pull out, there's ten more. I don't know how that happened. It'd be fascinating to go back in time and see that. But we just know that it was five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Now, liberals try to say, yeah, they were two big fish. That was a pretty big fish. <laughs> you know, that's, pretty, that's a bigger miracle. <laughs> and so what's fascinating is this, this is recorded in all four Gospels, this miracle. And it's an awesome miracle because it shows that the very basics give us this day our daily bread. Now, you guys don't have a hard time with that because you open your refrigerator and it's packed full, right? And, you know, with COVID and everything, you probably have a storage place that's filled with tons of food as well. But did you know that girls in Maceo, when I first started pastoring, their biggest concern was that they would starve. So dating a guy, the first thing they wanted to see is if he could provide food. But we don't think about that in America, do we? And we have it pretty good, real good. And, but Jesus' day, give us this day, our daily bread was pretty common. And here is Jesus saying, your basic needs I can provide. Your physical needs, just let me take care of it. Don't worry. The greatness of Christ. Christ is greater than a meal. One time I took Brazilians on a mission trip to Europe. And we went to visit Kathy Keene and Frank Keene in Italy. Does anybody know them by chance? The Keens? Okay. And Frank and Kathy Keene, uh, I, I showed up. I hadn't seen them for 25 years. I show up with 15 Brazilians at their house to stay. They told me I could, but I wasn't sure how they really were going to take that. She had her apron on, and she was just cooking up a storm. And I don't know if you like Italian food, but her genuine Italian food is amazing. And she made this meal for us that was out of this world. And it's 15 Brazilians. So I thought, man, we're leaving at 4 in the morning. We have to drive all the way to uh, France from Italy. And, uh, and so I told her, I said, Kathy, 
you don't have to worry about breakfast tomorrow. She said, done, I already did it. She was amazing. She was one of these women that just, she grew up on a farm. It was the oldest of 14. For her to throw out for 20 people was like nothing. But listen, to throw out for 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, it's not, Kathy couldn't do that. Only Jesus Christ could do that. Only he has the power and the greatness to do such a feat. So why do we worry about our physical needs? Why do we do that? You know what? The disciples were worried about it, and Jesus said, you feed them. They said, oh, that's, how are we going to feed them? We don't have any money. And Jesus said, you have the greatest money there is. It's called Jesus Christ. You cash that in, you gain, you gain the universe. You know? And I'm not trying to be specious. I'm just saying the greatness of Jesus takes care of every physical need, does it not? Amen for that. We're getting there. Second, Christ is greater than man. As we go into the text here in verse 18, we move on. <coughs> And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were uh, with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone. Listen, Christ is greater than a meal, and Christ is greater than man. John the Baptist, Jesus said, was one of the greatest men ever to be born. If you were to say, man, Roger, you're like John the Baptist, I would take that as a compliment if you're talking about my preaching, but if you're talking about my clothes, I don't know what I'd think. You know? <laughs> but listen, these were great men, the prophets. When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 says, these men of faith, the world did not what? They did not deserve. You know, we always think of these great men on the TV and heroics, man, that there is those faithful guys that are sitting in jail and praying and being faithful to the Lord and get sawed into and no one knows about. And the writer of Hebrews says the world was not worthy of these guys. So these are incredible people. These prophets are amazing. But they are nothing in comparison to Jesus. Jesus is greater than any man. One time I was real excited because I had the vice governor right beside me. And I had an opportunity to share with him. And, uh, and as you sit with him, you can see that he's surrounded by a bunch of men. And he's surrounded by others because they have a great respect for him, for his power and his money. But we should not fear anyone, should we? That's why when President Trump won, I wrote him a nice letter. I said, just like you hate fake news, God hates fake news about him. And let me tell you the truth about the gospel. And you know what he said to me? Nothing. He didn't write back to me. That's okay. But what I'm saying is, we should not fear man. And sometimes in evangelism, we fear man more than we fear God, don't we? We don't share that gospel with the other person because we're just afraid what they're going to think of us. Who cares about us? What does Galatians 2.20 say? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I had a guy one time in Brazil, he says, that's just not my way. And I said, I don't care about your way. Your way's got to die, man. Your way's got to be about Jesus. The greatest person in the world is Jesus. We should get excited about Jesus, not Patrick Mahomes. You know, he throws that touchdown today. I get excited. But I hope my kids are seeing that I'm more excited about Jesus than Patrick Mahomes. Amen? So Christ is greater 
than any, any man. And these prophets were amazing, but nothing compared to the anointed one, the holy one of God, the Savior, the Lord King. Seems like Peter was starting to get it. And the book of Luke is great, because if you want to write this down, the theme of the book of Luke, the theme of the whole book of Luke is this. Jesus Christ, the perfect man of Savior. The, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, Savior of imperfect men. Jesus Christ, the Savior of Jesus Christ, the perfect man, Savior of imperfect men. Woo, I think I got it. So we see him greater than a meal, greater than man. And now in verse 22, we are going to see that he is greater than mortality. Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be what? Verse 22, Luke 9. And be killed and be raised up on the third day. My mom's 85 years old. I just took her yesterday to Springfield, Illinois to drop her off. And uh, I told my son, I said, hey, give Grandma a big hug. I mean, we still know, don't know if she's going to make it. I mean, she's going blind, she's deaf, and uh, she's frail, and she's old. And I just don't know, don't know if next time we come back to the United States, uh, if she'll be around. But the great thing is my mom... You know, and we had a good time of fellowship this time, and we were talking about coming to the Lord, and she said, I'm excited about Jesus, excited about the Lord. And that is the beautiful thing, isn't it? Jesus just gets done telling the disciples, says, hey, what's going to happen to me is I'm going to be uh, suffering, and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise again. What did he just tell them? That he is greater than death. He's greater than mortality. He is the resurrection. And the life. The greatness. I want you to behold the greatness of Christ there. And I, I know we're doing this quickly, but we have to do that to get the picture of, the, of, of what I'm trying to pull out here of Luke chapter 9. And that is this. Christ is greater than a meal. Our physical needs. Christ is greater than man. And he's greater than mortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 says this. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immorality... Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're not afraid of anything in, in this world, right? That's why COVID, bring it on. You know it? All the Christians hiding out, I don't want to die of COVID. You've already died. <laughs> you know it? I'm not saying we don't be respectful. I put on the mask when people want me to put the mask on. I'm respectful and all that. But what I'm saying is, is we as Christians, we, have, we should have nothing to fear because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Listen, when I went to Mozambique to train Mozambicanos, I don't know how to say it in English, Mozambiques, uh, I had two Brazilians in two different locations, two different times of two different people say this, you're going to Mozambique? You might get bit by a, a mosquito and get malaria and die because that happened to a Brazilian I know. Twice in one week, someone told me that, and I said, is this a sign? You know, And my response to them each time is this. If a little mosquito carrying a malaria that's going to kill me hits me and I die, it was my time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I can't let that control me. I can't let it control me of the three important E's that we are here for, that God calls us to. God calls us to exalt him. God calls us to evangelize. And God calls us to edify and we have to be about his business because he is great, and he is greater than COVID. He is greater than our politicians. He is greater than any uh, sickness, and he is greater than death. 
and we should trust him. Well, because of this greatness of Christ, the second part of my sermon is this, that we should not only just behold the greatness of Christ, but we should behold the great commitment of Christ's followers. And that's what he gets into, a great commitment of his followers. You know, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all relate the, the narrative, the historic narrative of Christ's life, and it shows curious followers and committed followers. So I'm wondering this morning if we have those here today, if we have some curious followers and maybe some truly committed followers. Christ is going to demand a great commitment. In verse 23, look what he says. And he was saying to them all, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Do you see 99%? Not enough. We see a great call for commitment. He actually he says it in an imperative. It's a, it's a demand. You want to come after me? You must deny yourself. What does deny yourself mean? Well, I love it. It just simply means say no to self. John MacArthur once said that just to practice his denying self, even though in the liberty of Christianity he could do it, he says that sometimes when he goes to someone's home and they offer a dessert, and he wants that dessert, he likes apple pie or whatever the dessert is, he says for practicing to deny self, he says, no thank you. You know what I mean? No thank you. And that's, uh, uh, I, I remember that, plain as be, and I thought, wow, that is so good. That's a good reminder to practice denying self. Christ says to deny self, say no to oneself. And then he says an interesting phrase in verse 23, and he says, and take up his cross daily. Now, I don't want to step on any toes, but I want to just share with you women, your husband is not the cross. Have you ever heard that? Boy, her husband's her, his cross. Someone once said to me kind of the same thing about my mother-in-law, but it's not true, you know. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't thinking, oh, take up that husband you got, man. It's going to be hard to live with that guy. He's such an ignoramus. No, he was talking about something very clear to the community. All around them, they could see. What could they see? They could see crosses. And crosses was a way that Rome would show total submission and where you are totally dead. <laughs> you have been given totally right? And so what Jesus just got done saying in the verses before, what did he say? Hey, listen up, disciples. I'm greater than the prophets, and guess what? They're going to get me, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to what? Die. You want to be my father? Yeah? Good. <laughs> you know what? See, that's what Jesus just, he just said. He said, I'm going to die. Now you want to follow me? Then you got to be willing to what? you got to be willing to die. Wow. It's interesting, I, I, uh, I was just trying to think of this phrase, and deny self, take up cross, and, and look what it says. I kind of put it this way in a phrase. I, I like doing this kind of things. It just helps me to remember better. Deny self's will and be willing to deny self. <laughs> deny self's will is what I need to do, and be willing to deny self. That's basically what Jesus is saying. And i got to do it at 99%? No, at 100%. And I love that Luke put in that little phrase, 
daily. You know it? Because if you're like me, there's days you don't give 100% to Jesus. Isn't there? And why do we do that? We mess up, don't we? You know, we mess up. It's like, wow. And I drive him back and seeing the sunset, and I just talk with my boys in the car and, and just thinking, you know, I leave, I leave, I have five children. I have three of them that are here in the States, and I leave three behind. And, and I'm so burdened that, that they, at a young age, catch the importance of, of taking advantage of every moment of your life for Jesus. You do that, you come to the end of your life, and you don't go, oh, I didn't make that big bucks. You know, no, you say, that was a good life. You know, that was worth it. And we just, we have to take advantage daily. And I know for me, daily, I'm, I need to be reminded to get rid of self, be willing to deny self, and follow the life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, young people. Young people, listen to me. One of the greatest men besides Jesus Christ ever to walk on this earth that had great wisdom was who? Solomon. And Solomon tried everything in life. He tried all the pleasures of life. He tried construction. He tried women. He tried far parties. He tried zoos. He tried everything. And he looked at everything in life. And in Ecclesiastes, he said, it's all vain if you don't what? If you're not giving 100% to God. Read the whole book of Ecclesiastes. That's what he says. It's Ecclesiastes 1 to 12. At the end of chapter 12, he says, he says at the very beginning of 12, listen, he talks right to the young people. He says, remember your creator while you are what? Young. You know why he says that? Because the mentality in the world is this. I'm going to remember God when I get old. <laughs> but right now, I'm going to party up, baby. Isn't that what they say? And what Solomon was saying, no, don't do that, man. You party up, you're going to be wasted. You're going to be terrible. You're going to feel miserable. You're going to be guilty. You're going to have heavy weight. You're going to make decisions that are going to burden you for the rest of your life. But let me tell you right now, do what Jesus says. Live for Jesus, and you're going to have life. You're going to have the best physical relationship you could ever have with a wife if you get married and a husband you'll have the best in every aspect that God would have for you and you won't feel guilty you won't feel burdened but you'll feel light and you'll feel fulfilled that's what Ecclesiastes is about Ecclesiastes is awesome you gotta ask me come back to preach that someday <laughs> Christ demands a great commitment and then he goes into verse 24 and on and he describes the benefits of a great commitment and I kind of went ahead of the horse here, but let's, let's read it. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is not teaching that a works salvation at all. He is teaching that as a follower of him, if you want to have great benefits, you need to be totally committed and get rid of self and let him reign. And as you do that, I, I just noticed that you benefit many things, like you benefit true life, like verse 24. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In 1950s, there was a guy named Jim Elliott. And he said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Did you catch that? He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. In other words, we try so hard to keep our life 
<laughs> we're not going to be able to keep it. But if we give it to God, he's able to give it and give true life. He was 29 years of age when he gave his life to reach the Alca Indians of the jungles of Ecuador. We had the privilege of seeing the plane that took him. They brought it over to Shepherd's Conference one time. And, uh, and we saw the actual plane in this, one of the sons of the five missionaries, Jim Elliott was one, that got killed by the Indians. One of the sons was there, and he was with the Indian that was there that killed. And we got to hear the testimony. That guy got saved, and he shared his testimony. I tell you, there's 5,000 men and not an eye dry, just all in tears. In cheer, tears and, and in awe with the greatness of God and the forgiveness and the, and the compassion, mercy, and, and, and the life. <laughs> Someone would say, he's 29, he was foolish, he shouldn't have done that. And the scriptures say he was wise and he, he benefited true life. Verse 25, the benefit is of true profit. For what man of profit if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? Let me tell you about another man named C.T. Studd. Man, what a name, huh? C.T. Studd. Charles Thomas Studd. 1860 to 1931, he was an English missionary who faithfully served his Savior in China, India, and Africa. Here's his motto. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. C.T. Studd was a, a famous Patrick Mahomes of his country. And in the game of cricket. Now, why you want to name a game after an insect, I don't know. I'm not English. If you're English, I'm not trying to offend you. I just don't understand. I'm an American, foolish American. I don't know the game. I don't understand the game. But I just know this. It was popular, and he was one of the most popular ones. And he came from a wealthy family. And you know what he did? He gave it all up to serve God on the mission field. Because that's what he felt like the Lord wanted him to do. Was he a fool? The world says yes. God says he benefited life, benefited true profit. And then verse 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I say that is the benefit of true recognition. The benefit of true recognition. If you give 100% to Christ, you will reap the benefit of true recognition. Look what 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12 says. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul saying of me, the prisoner of Jesus. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Was Paul ashamed? Wasn't ashamed. He recognized the Lord Jesus no matter what it meant in his life, and the Lord Jesus recognizes him. It's the benefit of recognition. Polycarp was an early church father, and they put him on a stake, and they said for him to deny Jesus. And he said, there's no way. You're going to let the flames come. And they did, and burned him to death. But he would not deny Jesus. He was not ashamed of his Lord. Folks, I don't know where we're going in the United States. I don't know where we're coming. But I know that there's times that we get together with family and friends, and we might be a little ashamed of our Christianity. Huh? 
Just remember these verses. 100% or 99% is not enough. We need to give 100%. The greatness of Christ demands a great commitment by Christians. Could you imagine what would happen if the church of Jesus did that? If that happened in Brazil, I want you to pray for that in Brazil. I want you to pray for us that way. Pray biblically. Pray according to the word that God would raise up Brazilians at 100%. Because 99% is not enough. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for Jesus. For me to live is Jesus. Death is gain because then we are with Jesus and no longer have the ability to sin. I thank you, God, for the Gospels and the good news of your life and, and how we can learn from them. And I thank you this morning as we got a little bit of a glimpse of your greatness. And we, we fail so much. And we ask your forgiveness with our physical needs. And then we fail in making you less than others. We put politicians more important, or our sports figures more important, or our actors. And uh, forgive us for that. And then we live sometimes in fear. Um, Lord, and, and we don't need to live in fear of death, knowing that you are victorious and in control of it. So Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to give 100%. Because you deserve it. And what great benefits you've given to us. What graciousness you've allowed us to, to experience from that. And may this church experience that for your glory and honor. And may we in Brazil experience that. In Jesus' name we pray.